When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep at His right hand, but the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed thee, or thirsty and give thee drink? And when did we see thee a stranger and welcome thee, or naked and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick, or in prison and visit thee. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Recently, I came across a a letter from a a young lady who was off at college, and she was writing back home to her mom and dad. Dear mom and dad, I'm sorry I haven't written in a long time, but something I smoked seemed to have affected my eyesight for a while. The problem is better now. When I was in the emergency room, I met a really fine man. He gave me some crystals to meditate on. And to make a long story short you'll soon have your wish of becoming grandparents. Don't worry, he's mature. He's 20 years older than I am, and he has a steady job at the hospital. Who knows? We might even get married. I knew you'd want to be the first to know. P.S. I really didn't do any drugs, and I wasn't in the hospital, and I'm not pregnant, and I don't even have a boyfriend. But I did flunk chemistry. I just wanted you to view this problem in the proper perspective. (laughs) Viewing things in the proper perspective, that's what can be so incredibly difficult. This past week, as you know, I was in St. Louis as a delegate to our general conference. And I have to admit, before I went and while I was there, it was the thing I continued to pray for so much that God would give me perspective. With so much at stake and with emotions running so high, there were so many times when I did not feel like we treated one another with the respect and the kindness that I had hoped. Voices were raised. Accusations were made. We said we didn't trust each other. Many times it was obvious we'd forgotten the golden rule. When you start listening to the voices of the extreme, the voice, the the emotions run high. And there is so much feeling and it is so difficult to keep things in perspective. What I started doing was each morning when I got up, I had a time of devotion, a time of prayer, a time in which I would... Ask God, 
Help me today in the midst of all this to have perspective. Each day I ask God, help me to remember the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. In the midst of all the tension and the pressures and the struggles, that was not always easy. It's why that as Reverend Wendy Lambert was saying, tomorrow night as we get together in the Christian Life Center, there will be time to truly begin to discuss what was said and what was done and what is not done and what does it mean for the future of the Methodist Church? What does it mean for St. Luke's? There is so much to talk about and to think about. And if you are interested, we certainly invite you to come or to watch online. For there's a lot that needs to be said. But I just have to tell you, when I was there, on the floor at General Conference with 863 other delegates, I stood beside other pastors who theologically were aligned with me, I with them, that we thought alike. And I stood with pastors who thought 180 degrees opposite of me. And I got to tell you, we were all friends. We're all friends, even though we look at things so differently. But as we stood on the floor of this conference, the one thing we all said was, this is broken. This doesn't work. There is no way to legislate a way forward for our church. This is broken. And while I stood there on the floor, what I kept feeling was, This is not St. Luke's. It doesn't represent St. Luke's and who we are. For 130 years, St. Luke's has had a mission of sharing God's love and bringing hope to the world. For 130 years, our focus has been winning new people to Christ, growing in our faith, serving the community, And we have done that as a diverse family of faith. We've always been a family of faith of many people. We've been diverse in our ethnicity. We've been diverse in our political beliefs. We have been diverse in our sexual orientation. We have been diverse in our economic status. We have always been a church that is diverse And we have thought differently on important matters, but we've never let it divide us because we were focused on the mission of sharing God's love and bringing hope in the world. And because we have been focused on that, this has been a family of faith that has a spirit that really has been one of joy and love and acceptance and kindness There's been a feeling in this family of faith that I believe goes back to the first Sunday after the land run. And when I stood on the floor of General Conference, that's not what I felt. I got to tell you, I was anxious to come home. I was anxious to come home because I wanted to get on with the things that I knew we were already talking about and planning and doing and the friends that I have in this family of faith. No, it's different. We'll talk about it tomorrow night, but I wanted you to know 
that if you watched it and you saw it, I don't think it represented us and who we are and who we are going to be. As I got to thinking about us and who we are and who we're going to be, I couldn't help but think about this scripture. And it was one of the scriptures that has been one of my favorites since I was a boy in in Sunday school. You know, you always had to learn scriptures in Sunday school all about uh, those memory verses. And I learned that one right off the bat of when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. That was an important one that I learned. I know you're supposed to feed the hungry and, and get water for the poor and, and get clothes. And, but you know, as I started growing up, I learned that there was so much more being said in this passage that was incredibly important. It's all about Jesus talking about entering the kingdom. And we're always, Wendy and I have been teaching a course for for eight weeks right now on Wednesday Night Live all about salvation. And we're wanting to talk about that. Well, this is what this is about. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, it'll be like a king who sits on His throne. And on His right, He's going to have the sheep. And on the left, He'll have His goats. And He's going to separate them. And to the sheep, He will say, enter into the kingdom that has been prepared from you from the foundation of the earth. For when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was, when I was sick, you comforted me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. And the righteous will answer, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And the king, Jesus said, when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. The reason that I think that is so important is that a year and a half ago, you and I celebrated the, Protestant, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Many of us actually took a trip and went to Germany to see where Martin Luther had been and all that he had taught. It was amazing. And of course, we know the Protestant Reformation was all about how do you find salvation? It is through God's free gift of grace. It's all about free grace. We do not believe that works are what get you, quote, saved. It is in free grace. Now, of course, once we said it's all about free grace, we said if you will say the right things and believe the right things and profess the right things, then you get free grace. I always thought there was a little disconnect there. But why this passage intrigued me was that knowing we are the products of the Protestant Reformation and this issue of free grace, when you read this passage about entering the kingdom of heaven or entering the kingdom prepared for you, there is no mention about what do you believe. There is no mention about statements of faith. It's all about what did you do? When you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. Enter into the kingdom that has been built for you from the beginning of this earth. And so knowing that we are of the Protestant Reformation and the issue of free grace, and yet we read this teaching from Jesus that talks about entering the kingdom, and it really is about what you do, and there's no statement about what do you believe or have to profess I always found interesting. How do we reconcile these? 
there's two things that I want to say to you this morning. First of all, when Jesus talks about entering into the kingdom, I don't think he's talking here about a kingdom of heaven on the other side of death. Remember Jesus in his teaching said, the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the course that we've been teaching about salvation, we've been saying, you know, you and I think salvation is just about when we die and what's eternal. But actually Jesus said, it's about now as well as forever. It's now. And how do you enter into the kingdom? It's about what you do. When you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. Is it possible that when you and I live so that we are loving God and loving our neighbor, when we are doing it to the least of these, you begin to live in a relationship with Christ now? And as you live in that relationship with Christ now, you begin to live in love with one another. It brings a joy and a meaning to life. You enter into the kingdom that has been prepared from you from the beginning of the earth really because you did it under the least of these. You know joy. You have meaning because of what you do. I've been telling you how we went out to Anaheim to go visit with Bruno Serrato. And what an amazing man he really is. Bruno Serrato had appeared one way. Let me tell you, that's the way he was. He's this big man, kind of bigger than life. He is Italian. He has a strong Italian accent. That's where he is from, from Italy. He still has it, and he loves to talk, and he is great joyful, and he is happy, and an incredible man of faith and passion, wanting to feed these children. So we went out to his restaurant, the White House restaurant, and we visited with Bruno, and we were hearing about what he was doing. Now, the fascinating thing is our youth are getting ready in two weeks to go on their youth mission trip for spring break, and they're going to Anaheim. Now, that was decided a long time ago, and we just went there ourselves weeks ago. This wasn't planned. This was one of those grace moments where I look back and go, isn't it amazing how God seems to work in our lives? And so our youth are going out there, and they're going to wind up meeting Bruno. They're going to wind up having dinner at his restaurant. They're going to wind up being there and learning about this passion and this mission of what they are doing. And I, I'm very excited about these kids being able to be there and go to the White House restaurant and being able to, to catch this passion of what does it mean to be blessing the lives of these children, to be blessing the lives of others. And so... Bruno, you may remember, he came to the United States when he was a, a young man, didn't speak any English. He stayed with his sister in Southern California. She helped get him a job at a very fancy French restaurant washing dishes because that's what he could do. If you don't speak English, you can at least wash dishes. He started learning his English, and then a busboy quit, and they said, okay, you can bust the tables. And so one night he was going out there, and he was cleaning off the tables, and as he was, a lady and her husband were there, and the lady said, could you bring me a doggy bag? Well, he took the food, and he went back into the, the back, and he was just indignant and furious, and he threw it into the trash can. I mean, what an insult to the chef to say you want to take the food home for your dog. He was so angry. In came the waiter, 
and said, do you have the doggy bag for table 17? No, she insulted the chef. She wanted to take it home for her dog and I thought that was horrible and the waiter just started laughing and Bruno didn't like being laughed at. He didn't know what he was being laughed at and finally he said, Bruno, in the United States, if we really like the food, then we take it home so we can eat it tomorrow. And suddenly he thought, I'm about to be fired. When they find out what's happening, I'm going to be fired. And so the waiter went back out to talk to this husband and wife. And thank goodness they acted the way you and I would hope people would act towards us. They were very gracious. And they laughed. And they actually left an extra tip. And Bruno realized he was having to learn how people of another culture may do things differently. And talk about things differently. He continued to come right on up until he became the maitre d'. He was so good in the end he was able to buy the restaurant, the White House restaurant. All kinds of people come. Their presidents have been there. Famous movie stars, athletes. While he, we were there, he had been talking to a, a, a man about Katarina's Club, this program for feeding children who are hungry. And he got off and he said... You know, I've been talking to this baseball player with the Angels. I mean, his name is Albert, Albert. And I said, pool holes? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Absolutely, yeah. He wants to do something like this, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, the vision catching on about what does it mean really to go out and to do this under the least of these? But it was back in February of 17 that Bruno got a call in the middle of the night and his restaurant was on fire. And it burned to the ground. Literally burned to the ground, lost it all. And he talks about being there and, and he just sobbed. Sobbed and sobbed. And his thought was, how will I feed the children? He came that night and stood there at the restaurant with the firefighters and with his niece, who was named Katerina, after his mother. And they stood there and the firefighters finally said, is there anything that you would really want us to help look for? And he said, well, the one thing I would love would be uh, the crucifix, the rosary that Pope Francis had given to me. You see, Bruno has received so many awards. CNN, Man of the Year, Hero. He's been all kinds of awards. The Pope sent him the rosary and his letter of commendation. They used to be in the front of the the restaurant, all were burned. But he wanted the rosary. But you look and there's nothing but ashes. And the fireman said, we'll help look. And I mean, they got out there and they started helping to, to dig through it. It was his niece who went over and put her hand in the ashes and picked it up and said, Uncle Bruno, here it is. In the midst of all that, she literally found it. And he held it and he squeezed it and he said, I have not been deserted. I will be given the strength to feed the children to go on. I mean, it was a defining moment and all kinds of amazing things did. He didn't miss a single day feeding the children and rebuilt the restaurant. It's an amazing story. But when we're out there seeing him, I was kind of looking for the rosary. And I I didn't see it out on display. So I'm sitting there interviewing him and I'm talking to him and I 
I finally said, Bruno, I know what happened in the fire and in the midst of that finding a rosary from Pope Francis and your faith to go on. Could we see it? And I figured he'd have to get up and go somewhere and get it. But instead, he immediately reached inside of his jacket and pulled out his necklace and it was hanging around his neck close to his heart. It would not be anywhere else. And I said, could I hold it? And I held out my hand and he placed this rosary in my hand so I could look at it. And while I was holding the rosary, I said, Bruno, when I go back to Oklahoma City and I talk to my people about why should we become involved in feeding children, what should I say to them? Why do we do it? And he smiled and said, because he told us to. And you will find joy. When you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. Because he told us to. And it's how you find joy. You enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the beginning of the time. I couldn't help but think it wasn't about what we believe, what we confess, what we profess. We may disagree, but when we stay focused on our mission of sharing God's love and bringing hope to the world, you enter the kingdom and you find joy. From 1918 to 1932, Forney Hutchinson was the pastor here at St. Luke's. And Forney Hutchinson had such a belief about the importance and the call of Christ to be serving the community. He set a goal for the church in those days. It said 50 cents out of every dollar we raise needs to go in mission outside the church. For 14 years, 100 years ago, that's what we were being told. It's in our DNA It's who we are. It's why we do those things such as Studio and El Sistema and Rancho Village and Mobile Meals. And it's why we support those organizations like Fields and Future and Remerge and NSO and Cleats for Kids. And it just is so natural. Not because we all think the same way, not because we all believe the same way, but because we've never lost sight of our mission to share God's love and bring hope to the world. When, said the righteous, did we see you hungry and thirsty? When did we see you as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? When you did it the least of these, you did it to me. Enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you. Secondly, As a boy growing up when I read this passage and memorized this verse, I always knew I needed to go out and work to do these good things, get the clothes, get the food, uh, to help people. But as an adult, I came to look at this and realize maybe there was something even more than that. That maybe it wasn't just the physical needs that Jesus was talking about here. For I came to learn as an adult, how many times have you been hungry to be loved? 
How many times have you been thirsty to have a meaningful relationship? How many times have you felt like a stranger where nobody really knew you? How many times have you felt naked, vulnerable, afraid? How many times have you felt sick with no strength to go on? How many times have you felt you were in prison, locked up, no way to go? And what we need in those moments is for others to stand with us, to reach out to love us, to be there to care. And what we discover is we can be there to love and to care for one another regardless of what we believe if we love God with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength and our neighbors ourselves. And if we are there to love in those moments, we do it under the least of these. We do it for each other for we all stand in need of one another. It's what it means to be a family of faith. Now, while many of us were off in St. Louis, not necessarily having a good time, Reverend Phil Greenwald was here at home having a ball. It turned out that Phil was on Sunday night hosting a dinner with Ron Hall. Ron Hall is the author of the book, Same Kind of Different as Me. He and Denver Moore wrote the book about 13 years ago, was very successful, and it really deals with homelessness. It deals with people who are incredibly different and diverse and how can we come together to address this issue of homelessness when you feel alone and afraid and vulnerable and not understood. How can we deal with this issue? Well, they wrote this book and it was an amazing book. Well, Ron was here to speak. Denver passed away several years ago now. But Ron is still going and traveling the country and, and talking about this issue. He was here in Oklahoma City, and we hosted a dinner here at St. Luke's for Ron and, and for a number of people. And it got me to thinking about how this all happened originally. Ron Hall and his wife Debbie lived in Fort Worth. He was an international art dealer and a multimillionaire. Ron, a Denver Moore, well, he was from Louisiana. He had been a sharecropper. He was African-American. He had been homeless for 22 years in Fort Worth. He had never learned to read nor write, never had that opportunity. And he would go to the city mission. And it was Debbie, who was such a lady of faith, that she was going to work at the city mission and met Denver. And she felt this would be good for her husband. And she said, Ron, you're going to come down here and meet Denver. Neither one really wanted to meet each other. But as they got to know one another, they discovered they really could love each other. They were so very different from different backgrounds, different approaches. To, they were so different, and yet they both had something important to give to each other that each other needed the other person to stand there with them. Well, they became friends. Debbie, who was making all of this happen, developed cancer. Nineteen months after this started, she was gone. She passed away. 
before she died, Denver moved in with Ron and Debbie. And after Debbie died, they continued to be such close friends and live together. And it was one day that they decided to go visit Miss Debbie's grave. They had buried her out on the farm that Ron and Debbie owned. They'd been driving for about an hour and hadn't said a word. And Denver started to laugh. And Ron thought, what is so funny? We're on the way to Debbie's grave. And finally, Denver said, who would have ever dreamed you and I could be friends? That you and I would have this relationship. We need to write a book. And Ron said, we? You don't know how to read nor write. And he said, no, but I know my story, and I'll tell my story to you. I expect you to write it down. You know your stories. You can write them down. We'll stick them together. We have a book. So from Denver's idea of a book, it was started. For the next three years, they'd get up each morning and sit around the breakfast table and tell stories about Debbie, tell stories about their lives and what had brought them to this moment in time. And they would write them down. They hired another author to help weave it all together. And they had a book, same kind of different as me. A publisher picked it up and said they would publish it. They knew it was good and they waited for Oprah to call. But Oprah didn't call. The book languished. And they kept trying to find ways to get traction, to get it going. And so Ron had some family and some friends in Fort Worth who were going to have a book signing. And and he went to them and said, look, could we participate in all this? And they said, no. And when your own family isn't willing to help you with it, you know you're in trouble. Ron was angry. And he was fuming all about it. And Denver said, Mr. Ron, would you stop your fussing? This book isn't about you. It isn't about me. It's about Miss Debbie. And it's God's book. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to give thanks for all these people who decided not to help us. And we're going to pray for them. And then we're going to ask God to use his book to deal with homelessness. Denver was such a man of great faith. He taught Ron so much. And Ron said, okay. And they began praying. And sure enough, it was one of those books that took several years where I gave it, would you want to read this? You ought to read this. And a friend gave it to a friend, gave it to a friend. And, and sure enough, it started to catch on and more friends were giving it. And it started to gain momentum. And it got on the New York Times bestseller list and ran all the way to number one. George Bush was president of the United States. Every year he'd have a luncheon bringing several authors who had written books that he felt were a blessing to the country. And Ron and Denver got invited to come to the White House to have lunch um, with George and Laura Bush. And he writes in his second book, I never would have dreamed in my life I'd be going to the White House for lunch. He said he pulled up in a big black limousine, he and Ron together. And they got out and they went inside and they were met with security and they got on an elevator and went up and he said, the doors opened up and here was this older lady with gray hair, kind of short, wearing big necklace. And she said, Denver Moore, what a privilege to meet you. And she reached out and hugged him. And Denver said, all I ever thought about was how I got in trouble standing around white women. 
She was hugging him. And it was Ron who said, it's okay, it's okay, it's Barbara Bush. He said, I looked beside her and I recognized the other lady from TV. It was Laura Bush. And she said, what a privilege to meet you, Denver. We're waiting for some other authors. We're going to have a reception, some appetizers. Why don't you come out on the veranda? He said, I went out on the veranda and there was George Bush, the father, and his son Jeb and his wife, and there were all the other Bushes. And they were all so kind and so nice. Until finally Laura came to him and said, I want to give you a tour. And he said, I went with Laura and she took me into another room and said, here is the desk where Abraham Lincoln sat when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And I want to read you in Denver's own words what he said about the experience. I stood there beside that desk thinking, I'm the great-grandson of a slave. And I thought about being a sharecropper all those years, not being able to read nor write. And I thought about, here is the desk where this great man signed a proclamation that set my family free. He said, I was just standing there when suddenly Laura said, Hello, sweetheart. And I turned around and there was President George W. Bush. And he was walking with his hand out and said, Denver Moore, what an honor to meet you. I started shaking hands with the president. And all I could think about was the history passing through that handshake. I thought about being a sharecropper. I thought about the time they put a noose around my neck and almost hung me because I helped a white woman. I thought about how many times I had to pass a drinking fountain because it said no coloreds. I thought about all the names I had been called in my life, and now I was a guest, the special guest in the White House, and the most powerful man in the world was shaking my hand. We had everything. They took us down to lunch in such a beautiful place, such great food. We laughed. Laura said, Would you sit beside me? And I was sitting there beside her, here in this mansion and all this food and all this drink, having a great time, and I just felt so good, I thought, I got to tell these people thank you. And so I finally got everybody's attention, and I said, I just want to say thank you. This is the greatest day in my life, and I'd like to thank all of you personally. But to tell you the truth, I don't know all of your names. I mean, all you bushes look alike. To tell you the truth, all you white folks look alike. Mr. Ron was about to die, but I was just telling it the way that it was. I stood there and I couldn't help but think, what brought me to that day like this? It was the power of love. It was Miss Debbie's love for me. It was God's love for me. It was the power of love that brought me into this kind of a moment And I wanted to make sure and reached out and shared that kind of love with others. I couldn't help but think, what a day. I've come all the way from living in the bushes to eating with the bushes. It took a whole lot of love and prayer to get that done. It takes a whole lot of love and prayer. Doing. For the least of these. In order to come to know the kingdom. That has been prepared for you from the beginning of time. 
We believe in this gift of free grace. But maybe there's something more too. More than all the things we say we believe, all the things we profess and confess. I think Jesus said there's something really important about standing there with one another. And the righteous said, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, a stranger? When did we see you naked and sick and in prison? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you. We can know the kingdom and joy today. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.